0: Yeah, awesome man. If you're not praising God right now, mm, this is what it's all about, people change lives. It's why we are here to make disciples, but you got to get them saved first before we make disciples. And so, uh, welcome to a church that is passionate about reaching people for Jesus. We believe that time is short, Jesus could come back at any time. We're not promised tomorrow, so we need to tell as many people while we can, about a God who has come to save them and redeem them. So that was some highlights from last week. I'm not sure if we got everybody in that video, but I think we got a lot of them in that video. That puts us well over 50 people that just this year have followed the Lord in being water baptized. It's incredible what God is doing. No, it's, it's all the Lord. Jesus said he would build his church. So we just kind of get out of the way and let God do what he does best. But it's exciting to be a part of a church that's seeing changed lives. So praise the Lord. Thanks for being a part of that and celebrating. I'm sure we'll uh, be posting that on the Internet so you can share that with your friends and family as well. Well, just want to say welcome again, everybody. So glad that you're here with us on this Labor Day weekend. Most of the year, we've been in the gospel according to Matthew, and for the last uh, probably couple of months, we have been in chapter 5, the great sermon on the mount. Jesus comes along and really raises the bar. He comes with some new and kind of radical teachings, and he ups the ante, and quite frankly, without his help, We'll never be able to attain where he's calling us uh, to go. Uh, in fact, today we read in Luke chapter 9, I believe it was, you know, we have to daily take up our cross and follow him. And so, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about lust and adultery, how lust, Jesus said, is the new adultery. If you just think about having sexual relations with that other person, you've already committed adultery in your heart. If lust is the new adultery, then anger is the new murder. And Pastor Sean came and preached an awesome, on time, hot, fresh word for us. Are you in here, Pastor Sean? Thank you so much for your. Yeah, you can show him some love. Awesome word about anger and how we need to, as Barney Fife would say, nip it. Nip it in the bud. Because what we tolerate will eventually dominate. So we need to let that anger go because Jesus said, if you have anger in your heart, you've already murdered them. And so uh, thank you, Pastor Sean, for that great word. But that brings us to the end of chapter 5 today. We're going to close it out finally, and we're going to talk about revenge and love. Revenge and loving our enemies and responding the way that God would have us respond. So uh, as I was studying today, I came across a story about Abraham Lincoln. Before he was president, he practiced law. He was an attorney. And uh, this, this man came to him, approached Abraham Lincoln uh, so passionately, insisting that he help him bring a lawsuit against someone uh, who was indebted to him uh, by the tune of $2.50. For whatever reason, This man would not let up. He would not rest until he got his $2.50 back from the man who owed him. Lincoln tried to discourage him. He's like, you know, just kind of let it go, man. It's only $2.50. But the man was determined to get his revenge. And so Lincoln eventually agreed to take the case. And so he asked for a legal fee. My fee, it's $10 up front okay, you're ahead of me already, which the plaintiff gladly paid. Here's the 10 dollars, Mr. Lincoln. Well, Abraham Lincoln took five of that 10 dollars, gave it to the defendant, who then willingly confessed to being in debt to the plaintiff, and paid the two dollars and50 cents back to the plaintiff, kept 250 in his pocket, and the plaintiff was just as happy as a lark. What a brilliant an ingenious solution by the future president. This man was willing to take $10, to give away $10, to get $2.50 back. But it just emphasizes the outrageous lengths people will go to when consumed with revenge. And Jesus knew that mankind had a problem with this. You know, there's just something in our fallen nature that it insists on getting our revenge when we are wronged. If you hurt me, if you insult me, if you wrong me in any way or anyone I love, take advantage of them. I'm coming after you. Some people even pride themselves on this persona that they have that, oh, people know they better not mess around with me. People know that if they cross me, I'm going to light them up. They know they better not cross me or anyone I love or I'm coming after them hard. And Jesus knew that mankind struggled with this issue of revenge as humans, so he addressed it as part of his Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to pick it up Matthew chapter five, did you bring your Bibles? Are you there yet? Okay, the rest of you, pull them out. Download the Bible app on your phone. We're gonna go to Matthew chapter five, verse 38. Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And we'll pick it up in just a, a moment, but let me pause there. You've heard it said. Jesus is talking to his audience. He's referring to Exodus chapter 21. The Mosaic law taught that if someone gouged your eye out, you could gouge their eye out. If they busted your mouth and, and you lost a tooth, you could bust their mouth and grab one of their tooths, An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, punch for a punch, limb for limb, bruise for bruise, wound for wound. If, if you hurt me, I get to hurt you in turn. Now, remember, this was before the law came out, before Israel had settled into the promised land. So they, at the time of this law was written, they were wanderers and they were kind of living in this wild, wild west environment. There was no jail, there was no prison, there was no jury, anything like that. So while on the surface, this part of the law, it does sound barbaric, I will grant you that. Uh, but it was, it was a way of limiting Revenge, it was a way of of trying to keep things from getting too out of hand. Without this law, one might not only take your eye out, but your mama's eye out and your brother's eye out. And all of a sudden, you're going on a binge of revenge. So while on the surface, this seemed kind of outrageous, it limited retaliation and took the approach, let the punishment fit the crime. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So, we're going to pick it up again. If you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Obviously, this is where we get turn the other cheek from. But on the surface, this sounds outrageous. Someone just punched me in the face, and you want me to turn and take it again? And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. It's like if someone wants your shirt, give him your T-shirt too, your your sweatshirt, and maybe your sweatpants. Well, maybe not, no. (laughs) Stick to the scripture, Benny. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. So Jesus says, okay, no more of this eye-for-eye tooth-for-tooth stuff. We ain't doing that anymore. If someone takes advantage of you before you haul off and sock them in the mouth in return, you need to take a step back, take a deep breath, and resist this urge for revenge. Don't retaliate. In fact, if someone robs you, someone steals uh, some cash from your pocket or whatever, Jesus says, you don't get to go rob that person in return. You don't get to go rob him or his family or his home or his friends. In fact, you don't get to suspend law and order and guidelines in the name of revenge and go looting stores and robbing everything. You don't get to do that in the name of justice and revenge. Now, I do want to be clear that Jesus is not saying that we aren't allowed to stand for justice. That is not the message. That's another message for another time. He is not saying that if terrorists are murdering innocent people, that we just have to look the other way. We just have to stand and take it. He's not saying that. Jesus is not anti justice. Jesus is actually very much pro-justice. In fact, the scripture tells us that we are in a war. We are actively engaged in a war, whether we realize it or whether we want it or not. Of course, people are not our enemy. Satan and his legion of demons are our enemy, but we are at war. So it's actually right to stand up for when we see innocent people being taken advantage of, when we see innocent people being tormented and tortured. In fact, the idea of justice was God's idea. The reason most of us in this room have this sense of justice and wanting to get back at people, God has put inside of us this desire for justice. It was God's idea first. Jesus is not saying, however, lay down when you see evil all around you. It's not Christian to let the Taliban go door-to-door executing innocent people. It's not Christian to stay silent when a million babies are murdered every year. We're over 60 million right now since Roe v. Wade, by the way. It's not the Christian thing to stay silent. It's not the Christian thing to look the other way when there is injustice happening around you. Jesus isn't suggesting that. That's not the point of his sermon. His sermon isn't a formula for how to run a country. His sermon is a formula for how to run our life. When someone insults you or criticizes you or says something mean and ugly personally to you, instead of retaliating, instead of this eye-for-eye approach, he says, turn the other cheek. Take it. Take a deep breath, go the extra mile, take the high road. And I believe that one of your greatest tests will be how you handle people who mishandle you. This is a good litmus test on how you're doing with your walk with the Lord. Well, you, you, you might say, Well, you don't know how I've been mistreated. These people have been so ugly and mean to me. How can I possibly get to the place of turning the other cheek? Here's how you can get to that place. You need to remind yourself that God has the final say. In the end, God will not let evil go unpunished. God's justice will prevail. He sees every sex slave that is sold by the terrorists or whoever it might be. God sees every Christian who is being persecuted and martyred and beheaded. God sees it all. God even sees the injustices that have been done to you. He sees it all. And he will execute justice in his time. However, vengeance doesn't belong to me. Vengeance does not belong to you. Vengeance belongs to the one who loves justice even more than you and I love justice. Paul said to the Romans, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Not man's wrath, not Benny's wrath, God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says who? Says the Lord says the Lord. So taking matters into our own hands is taking illegal ownership of revenge. Vengeance doesn't belong to me, doesn't belong to you, it belongs to God. And if we can't get to that place of giving it to God, it will eventually eat you alive. Devising plans for revenge and vengeance, it will consume you if you let it get out of control. I recently heard a story of a pastor whose son was brutally murdered by, by a murderer, by a felon. I have a son, and I can't imagine losing my son to someone who brutally murdered him. But this, uh, this, uh, this uh, felon was convicted in the court of law. He was sentenced to prison. This murderer uh, was in prison. And this pastor, this man of faith, actually forgave the murderer for murdering his son. And not only that, he actually went to the prison and visited this man, this murderer who murdered his son, hugged him and told him about Jesus. Wild stuff. How can you get to the place where you can love your enemy, you can pray for, you can hug someone that murdered your own son? The father realized that God will take care of it the way that he sees fit. Revenge is not for us. I don't need to harbor that kind of stuff in my life because it will consume me and eat me alive. He understood that in the end, God will execute judgment the way he sees fit. Evil will be dealt with, good will be rewarded. So when we choose to not retaliate, we are showing the world that I trust God's justice better than my justice. I trust that God is going to deal with the situation better than I could deal with the situation. I'm, re- I'm taking it out of my hands. I'm releasing it back to the hands of the Lord. Now, I, like most of you, I've been accused of some crazy, outrageous, outlandish stuff before. And good people believe these fabricated stories about me. Maybe you've experienced this over the years, too. But my first thought is often, how can I defend myself? How can I get the real truth and my side of the story out uh, out there? I can tell you, Kelly and I have had many of nights having pillow talk about how, you know what, we're just going to choose to let it go. As much as I want to defend myself, as much as I want to avenge what has been done wrong to me, we've come to realize that God can defend our case much better than we can defend our case. He just has this way, doesn't he? Truth always prevails at the end of the day. So, I don't need to be seeking for ways to vindicate my name and my reputation. I just give it to the Lord. Why? Because I trust God's justice better than my justice. And look, part of coming alive in Christ, man, I just love that video. Uh, If you're now just joining us online or our podcast, we just witnessed a video of dozens of people being baptized, and when we went under, it kind of symbolized being buried. The old person is being buried, and the new person is coming alive in Jesus. Now that I'm alive in Jesus, the old Benny is dead. That means I no longer get to seek my way of vengeance. That person died. 1 Corinthians talks about how the old person is dead, the new has come alive. So I no longer get to find ways and devise ways in the flesh to get revenge on that person who has wronged me. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. So now I have to relinquish my way. I relinquish my rights to get my pound of flesh and I release it back to God. That's a tough place to get to, I understand. Some of you have been wronged big time. But remind yourself when you're having those tough moments that God's justice is a lot better than my justice. Let's let the Jesus that's inside of us come alive and take control of us. So we are going to release that stronghold. I loved how Pastor Sean put that. How do you know it's a stronghold? If you have a stronghold on it, we're gonna release it and let God handle it. Let God handle it. In fact, just say that out loud. Let God handle it. Yes, yeah, let him handle it. So after Jesus talks about revenge, he adds this. Hey, it's not enough to just uh, turn the other cheek and to not seek revenge. He adds to it, We also have to love our enemy. A reporter was interviewing an old man on his 100th birthday and asked him, In your 100 years, sir, what are you most proud of? The old man thought for a moment. He said, I guess I'm most proud of the fact that I just don't have any enemies what a beautiful thought, the reporter said. That's amazing. Can you tell us how you got to that place in life where you have no enemies? Well, the old man said, yes, I can tell you how. I just outlived every last one of them. (laughs) Well, that's one strategy, I guess, to have no enemies. But Jesus comes along and gives us another strategy that doesn't require us reaching the century mark. Let's move on. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 now. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. By the way, the hate your enemy there is kind of a misapplication of the law that they were doing. But I tell you, love your neighbor, no, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, Jesus was referring here to the Mosaic law, specifically Leviticus chapter 19. Let me read those two verses, 17 and 18. It says, do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Well, some of the teachers of the day, some of the rabbis uh, that were were hearing Jesus uh, say this, they had uh, misapplied the law, and they were saying that you only have to love fellow Israelites. You're only required to show love to your fellow fellow man, your fellow woman. In fact, uh, if they don't believe like you, act like you, talk like you, look like you, they're actually your enemy. If they haven't been circumcised into the Jewish faith, they're your enemy and you're allowed to hate them. While well, Jesus comes along and, and casts that aside, he says, no more guys. You actually have to love them. Even if they're not a Jew, he said. Even if they don't believe the way that you believe, act, talk, all of that. Even if they don't do any of that stuff, you have to love them. He was basically saying, Everyone, including your enemy, is your neighbor. So he was calling them out for misapplying the law, and he said, Love not only your neighbors, but your enemies too. The soap for today, maybe you already read it, talked about the Good Samaritan. Remember that? And this religious know it all came to Jesus trying to catch him, Well, who is my neighbor? And he told the story of the Good Samaritan. And what Jesus did in that story is he ended all debate on who our neighbor is. Jesus says that everyone you come into contact with is your neighbor. So that means we have to love even those who hate us in return. So what would it look like to instead of devising schemes and plans to get revenge... What if you would love them and pray for them? What would it look like for that person to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? I mean, wouldn't that be the ultimate revenge? Praise God, I prayed them from the fires of hell to eternal life. They are now not just my enemy, they are my friend. We are on the same team. He is a fellow, she is a fellow believer in Jesus. See, the true disciple not only avoids revenge against their enemy, they pray for them too. Jesus said, it's not enough to not retaliate. You can't stop at not seeking revenge. You have to pray for them too. Okay, so I can't avenge their sin. And on top of that, I have to pray for them? That's right. He keeps raising the bar. But if we can respond like this, this kind of response is evidence that Jesus is living and active on the inside of us. This is evidence that we've surrendered our way to his way. When we can get to the place of loving those who hate us, praying for those who are our sworn enemy, when we can get to that place, we are showing and telling the world that we are a true follower of Jesus Christ that he really has all of us. He really is the Lord of our life. I didn't share this in first service, but uh, I have a love, hate, mostly hate relationship with social media. Anybody else with me on that one? Okay. It's such a waste of time. And studies show that when you uh, log off or change the screen, that you actually feel worse about yourself, but yet we go back to it Time, multiple times a day, some of us, we actually feel worse about. But I tell you, I do like it too. I've got because uh, I get to see pictures of my family, uh, my nieces, my nephews, my kids. I get to know when it's your birthday. That's kind of a cool perk of that. Uh, but th- there's some petty things that happens too on social media. It really grieves my heart when I see Christians hating on other Christians. Did you know that there are actually uh, websites dedicated to, Facebook uh, groups dedicated to, YouTube channels, podcasts dedicated to hating on other Christians? It is astonishing to me that we would spend our time hating on one another. Now, sometimes it's just right out there. They do everything but call out your name and tell what a horrible person. Sometimes it's this roundabout insult, but everybody knows what you're saying. But it's just so petty. Jesus has called us to rise above the pettiness of being so snippy on Facebook, and we hide behind the keyboard. He's called us higher than acting like snots just because someone has been rude to us. Man, it's time for us to put the childness, childishness aside and start acting like Jesus. Love your enemies. Pray for them. Uh, In this 21 days of prayer and fasting, add them to your prayer list. Love them. Pray for them. I know it's not easy, but as you allow the Holy Spirit to work on you, to work in you, as you find you're surrendering to him, you'll find yourself blessing them and saying things that you could have never said on your own and doing things you could have never done on your own. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Let's move on. I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Okay, Jesus, why? That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the unrighteous and the righteous. Righteous and, you understand. Righteous and unrighteous. So as we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, what's Jesus saying? We are reflecting our heavenly Father. We are his children, and as such, his children should have some of their daddy's DNA. And how does their father act? Well, He blesses even mean people. He blesses even evil and unrighteous people. He allows the sun to rise and set. He allows rain to come on the crops of the righteous and the unrighteous. Isn't that cool? His nature is good. You know, some people have walked away from God because they think he's some mean, angry old man that's just out to get them. Jesus even gives good things who aren't believers yet. He will use things like a wreck on 194 right here where this woman should have been paralyzed, but all she has is a broken toe. He'll do good things like that to draw us to him. We have a loving heavenly father and we are his sons and daughters so we have to act like our dad his dna is inside all of us now to be clear that while while the world uh, these unbelievers they will experience some blessings it won't be the near near the blessings that we will receive on the other side of eternity we have a crown of righteousness awaiting for us in heaven But in the meantime, God will choose to physically bless even unbelievers in attempts of reminding them that, hey, I'm here. I love you. Come home to your heavenly Father. The point that Jesus is making here is that the Father's love reaches out to everyone. The Father's love reaches out to everyone. And so as his kids, our love, should reach out to everyone as well, even those who don't like us, even those who hate us. Then Jesus expounds in the next verse, he says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Big deal. Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Now, remember, we learned this a few months ago, tax collectors were viewed as scum back then. Are not even the scum tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Jesus is like, so what? Big deal. (laughs) It's not virtuous to return love to someone who already loves you. Even sinners even tax collectors and scum, the unrighteous, even pagans do that. So he's saying as followers, of, if you're gonna follow me, if you're gonna follow Jesus, our behavior needs to stand out from the rest of the world. The character of the believer should look different from the character of the unbeliever. We shouldn't look like the rest of the world because we carry in us the DNA of our Father. True disciples love everybody, even those who hate us. Ransomed and redeemed and renewed Christ followers don't get to act like the rest of the world. We go above and beyond. We don't act like the rest of the world does. We, we go above and beyond. That's why I highlighted this word more. You might want to circle that word more. We go to the next level. We are Chick-fil-A Christians, not McDonald's Christians. We take it up a notch. I thought I'd get a bigger amen than that, but that's all right. Now, I'm not not here to hate on McDonald's, but you have a different McDonald's experience than a Chick-fil-A experience, don't you? We were just at one a few days ago, and it took forever for them to acknowledge, and it was like, what do you want? And then they don't give me what I want. I'm like, I, where's my hot mustard sauce for these fries and these nuggets? Where's my Diet Coke? You gave me a regular Coke. And then they act like you're annoyed that you're bothering their busy time. And you know, they're, you're annoying them. Now, contrast that with Chick-fil-A. Yes. The Chick-fil-A experience, you might even get a bonus nugget in there. You might get a third or a fourth Polynesian or sweet sriracha or bless the Lord, Chick-fil-A sauce. And then they'll send you on away with not, I'm annoyed by you, but a God bless you, my pleasure. Right? We are called to be Chick-fil-A Christians. All right? We are called to more than McDonald's. We are go to above and beyond. I'm sorry, Chick-fil-A's closed, but you can't go to McDonald's today. <laughs> uh, uh. Then Jesus ends it with a real doozy. He closes out chapter five. Can you believe we've finally made it to the end of chapter five? Be perfect. Oh boy. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Okay. Candidly, at first glance, when I read this at first, I, I kind of try to just, I, I'm, I'm going to dismiss this. There is no way I'm going to be perfect like God the Father. It's, I'm human, I've got a fallen nature, therefore, I cannot attain this unreachable goal. Well, I looked up this word perfect in, in the Greek. The, the word perfect here does not mean perfectly sinless, never doing anything wrong again. Now, to be clear, our heavenly Father is sinless. He will never do anything wrong. Uh, But this word in the Greek is teleos, teleos. And teleos means full-grown, mature, complete, working well, fully instructed, reaching your goal. It's just right. You're doing real good. You're just right. With room to improve. Keep going. Now, even this standard is a high standard. This is a high bar. This is unsustainable without the help and the assistance of the Holy Spirit. But I believe that we can also encourage one another. We need help from the Holy Spirit. We need help from one another. You know, we grow best when we are in relationship with other believers who can help us and encourage us and protect us along our spiritual journey. You know, without other people that have our best interests in mind, we kind of drift back towards mediocrity, don't we? Um, I used to run a whole lot more than I do now, but, but when I was running, I'd, I'd run several times a week, and I'd, I'd often kind of race against myself. I'd have my app out, and I'd try to beat my pace. I'd try, try to go a little further, have a little more endurance, but sometimes I would just fail on my own. The few times that I had a buddy going with me, I found that my, my pace was a little quicker. My endurance was a a little longer. My stamina lasted a little bit longer because there was somebody sharpening me. And so we need not only the Holy Spirit helping us along in our spiritual journey, we need each other. That's why life groups are so important. You need to go on our website, find a life group, find a, find a, a small, this is great on Sundays, but you need to get in a smaller setting where you can grow and encourage one another. Men, that's why we want you here at men's night, be a part of brotherhood. Ladies, be a, be a part of sisterhood. Let's sharpen one another and encourage one another. Jesus keeps, helping, uh, k- keeps calling us to, to grow in our relationship with the Lord, and we all have a next step in our spiritual journey. But left to ourselves, we tend to just keep lowering the bar. We keep drifting towards mediocrity. Jesus, on the other hand, he keeps raising the bar. Here's your goal. Be perfect like the heavenly father is perfect. Grow up. Be mature. Be complete. Work well. Fully instructed. Reaching your goal. Don't strive for just good enough. Let God be your standard. The people of the day thought the law was their standard. If I can just attain to what the law is calling me to, then I can say uh, I've done my job. If I just follow these rules by the law, if I do this uh, group of checklists over here and, and don't do these forbidden things over there, then I'm good. Jesus calls us higher. See, following the law isn't our standard. Following the Lord is our standard. Having a heart for God. And when our heart follows Him, then the maturity, the completion will take care of itself. Then we'll find ourselves stopping to seek revenge. We'll find ourselves those people that hate us, we no longer hate them in return. In fact, we begin to pray for them, we begin to love them and, and pray blessings over them. This is the kind of life that Jesus has called us to, to look like him. And if you want to look like him, can you say a big amen today? Amen. Amen. Yes, we want to look like you, Jesus. Hey, right there in your seat, just want to invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes, give you an opportunity to respond. The Spirit of God has been speaking to you throughout this message. So I want you to take a moment, reflect on what he would have your next step to be. I really believe God wants to free some people here today. God wants to lift that weight. You've been devising ways. You've been spending too much time trying to come up with a way that you can exact your revenge on that person who wronged you, who mistreated you. And today, you've heard the word of the Lord go forth, and you have been called to release that now into his hands. So right now, just release that thing. Release that hurt, that pain, that person that mistreated you. Release him, release her back into the Lord's hands. Ask the Lord to forgive you for spending way too much time trying to to scheme and and devise ways for revenge. Some of you, you, you've you've moved on. You've, You've forgiven them, but You haven't gone to that next level of praying for them, of loving them. Why don't right now you just ask the Lord, how would you have me pray for this person? What does restoration in this relationship look like? Now, please understand, I know there are some some things that have been done to you that reconciliation probably just isn't possible. You're never gonna be their best friend again. I understand. But for some of you, that relationship can be restored. What would it look like for you to begin praying for that person? Add them to your prayer list. Believe God to do great and wonderful things to them and for them. And then some of you, maybe you've been prejudiced in your love for people. You've been like some of the people that Jesus we're talking to and you reserved your blessing, your love for only those who affirmed you. You've only loved those who will love you in return. You only love those who look like you, have the same interests that you do, believe like you do, act like you do, talk like you do. Jesus is calling us to love those that aren't like us. So who is in your life right now that you need to pray for? You've been prejudiced, you've been withholding your love and you're ready to go to that, that, that next level. Lord, would you help us all in this room? Lord, forgive us for when we've taken illegal ownership of revenge. Vengeance, justice belongs best in your hands, not my hands, God. So, Lord, I give it away. Take it from me. I put it into your hands. I release it now in the name of Jesus. Now, maybe you're here in this room and you haven't yet made a decision to follow Jesus. You can do that right now, just in your heart. You can even whisper uh, something like this, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I recognize I've messed up. I want to come home to you. I thank you for dying on the cross, paying the penalty of my sin so I could have eternal life with you. Right now, I surrender my life to you. That's all there is to it. And then just start walking with Jesus. Start praying. Start getting in the word. Start following him. And now you're a believer. If that's you, in a moment, you're are we going to have the prayer team come forward. You're going to be able to pray for you and with you. They're going to give you a Bible. Or maybe you want to mark on your connection card on making a decision to follow Jesus. We want to help you on your next steps. But before we all go, can we stand up all around the room? We want to give you a moment to respond. Pastor Sean is going to lead us in this wonderful song of surrender. Whatever you want to, to do whatever, whatever you want. I will make room for you, Lord.